We had an interesting uh, experience uh, recently. It was uh, quite enlightening. And I do not present this discourse in any way to minimize the significance of the participants, but rather I relate it as a matter of, of understanding, just as being for, put forth here by uh, Swami Bhakti Raksak Sridhar uh, Pujapad. I'm a member of a conference of my contemporaries. So these are all conferences limited to direct disciples of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. So they're all older, getting on in age now. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, your spiritual master was, was part, of, part of this. Uh, Swami Tripurari was also on this conference. And one of our God brothers was taking exception to his uh, to his separating himself from uh, the general institution that was left by uh, our spiritual master. Those are details, and we're not going to get into the details. But what happened was this: uh, one of our contemporaries, one of our God brothers, in the discourse, actually became so antagonistic and offensive in his discourse that Swami Tripurari retired from the conference. He said, I'm out of here. And before he departed, he pointed out to this devotee how, how offensive he was, who is his godbrother. And he also said that uh, your level of devotion is, is, it's apparent by your discourse that your lever devotion is, uh, is, is kanista. As we progress in spiritual life, there are certainly different stages. And the beginning stage is kanista adhikari. And the, and the characteristic of somebody in this stage, he only sees God in the church. What do, I, what do we mean by that? He only sees God in the church. It means... When he goes outside the doors of the church, he doesn't recognize that he's still in the kingdom of God. In other words, he only sees God in the form, the, the form of the, of the deity or the form of the, of the altar at the church or whatever, whatever the various tradition would be. It's li he's limited to the church or the synagogue or, or that's where he sees God and he doesn't see that the supreme also resides in every living entity. So that's kanista adhikari. That's the, that's the beginning stage of our devotion. It's not that this is a, to be discounted. It's anybody that's coming to the Supreme, this is a very glorious position, but everybody, uh, you know, is expected as time goes on to, to become more, more and more deeply involved in their understanding and their realization and their self-realization as they, as they progress in spiritual life. It's a natural thing. We're not expected to remain in the second and third grade for your whole education. I know some of us may have had to from time to time, hopefully none of you in this room, but, uh, you know, repeat a grade. I, I was lucky I didn't, but they could, certainly could have because there's a certain point where I didn't care much. But uh, somehow we struggled, struggled through, and uh, 
weren't heavily reprimanded until we got a head on our shoulders and realized that was of no value. But he was pointed out as being stoicanista. And he's, I said, this is a, this is a body, this is a, a, a group of our contemporaries. So you expect that after, after being practicing and chanting and purifying your heart, you would gradually rise up to the platform of at least being able to see that the Supreme is in every living entity. And being able to appreciate the service of everyone, especially one who's, who's truly advanced and is truly giving shelter to others, despite what sectarian viewpoint you may have regarding this or that institution. We should mature to that level. It's a natural course. And I bring this up in relationship with what we just read because it's a very important point that Sridhar Swami is making here. That the name is there, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. We're chanting. The tongue is moving. The vibration is coming. The letters are being repeated. The vibration is coming into the ear. We're reading the name on the page. The Lord has hundreds of millions of names. All these names are transcendentally potent. We have to have that spiritual connection. And as he pointed out, interesting, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. And this has to be foremost in our minds daily as we do sadhana, as we chant the holy name to purify our heart we have to put our heart into the holy name. We have to put our heart into our chanting. We have to hear attentively and we have to do this service, this sadhana, whether it be reading or chanting or worshiping or, or giving of, of what we have. All this has to be done in a heartfelt manner. It just can't be done as in a rudimental way. Uh, and if we're in the practice and we simply follow rudimentally, even for 30 or 40 years, the heart's not going to be softened. The progress is not going to be made. We're, the impurities are not going to be cleansed away. The anarthas, anartha, anartha nivriti. We associate with the sadhu. We have some faith. We associate with the sadhu. We perform some bhajan. And that bhajan is meant to clear the anarthas. Anartha nivriti. Anarthas. The, the bad, the dirt in the heart, the lust, the anger, the greed, the... Uh, envy, all those things need to be dissipated if we're truly in spiritual practice. This is not simply that we simply show up uh, at the church every week or at the synagogue or at the Bhagavad Gita class and the what we're hearing is going in one ear and out the other. Not that we get up and we early in the morning and we chant Krishna's names under the direction of the spiritual master or we chant our mantras 
It's not that we chant inattentively without some purpose of heart. Otherwise, there'll be no connection. The connection is coming by the mercy of the spiritual master. Yasha prashadad Bhagavad prashado. This mercy of the chanting is coming through him. The guru is giving him the mercy. He's giving us the current. He's allowing us to plug ourselves in. But we have to put the cord in. There has to be that bit of effort on our part. Otherwise, 30, 40 years, the envy's still there. And in this particular instance, the envy was so distasteful to this whole form of my contemporaries that we demanded that this one, and this is a hard thing to do to ask one of your contemporaries, please, we don't want you here anymore. We don't want you, we don't want to hear what you have to say because everything that's coming from your mouth is so painful to our hearts because it's so harmful to spiritual progress to speak this way of another sadhu. And everybody on this form is a sadhu. They're all my contemporaries. My head is at their feet. And I also had to speak out in this form and and. and and say this is this is a shameful way that you're conducting yourself. So stay plugged in here attentively. Uh, this chanting can't be just a sound. It's not that. Uh, when we're addressing the supreme, let us do it in the proper frame of mind with, with the proper objective, and uh, then we'll have all success in spiritual progress. It's not a matter of the amount of rounds and it's not a matter of the time served. That was obvious to me from this incident I just relayed to you. And when you see others advancing nicely, it's like, wow, they're, they're really moving forward. Wow, how they're doing this. Yeah, it's because they're really hearing. They're really chanting with good intent. And uh, it's having some profound effect. And that should encourage us all. We're not envious of that. It's not that we're, we're encouraged. And we, we need to say, well, I need to, I need to turn my fire up a little bit too. Huh? So Bhagavad Gita. We're studying the seventh chapter. Beginning of the seventh chapter. So... What's being said here in this seventh chapter? Now hear, O son of Prita, how by practicing yoga in full conscious of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. I shall now declare unto you in full this knowledge, both phenomenal and numinous. This being known, nothing further shall remain for you to know. Out of many thousands among men, may one may be one may endeavor for perfection, and of those who have achieved perfection, hardly one knows me in truth. Wow, what a profound statement. So many people practicing so many paths of, of, to purify themselves, but who actually knows the Supreme Lord? Mm. Very rare. Hardly one. 
Hardly anyone, actually no one, is what the truth of the matter is. No one can fully know the Supreme. Well, he can know, but then he's always expanding in his mercy. So as soon as he understands, oh, I understand. Isn't it wonderful? Then he's expanding more. So, yes, it's a fact. <laughs> Text four. Mm. What was that? Bumir, Apo, Nalo, Vayu, Kam, Mano, Budirevacha, Ahankara, Iti, Yame, Bina Prakritir Astata Bumir Earth Water Fire Air Ether Those are easy, aren't they? We can see those as material. We have no trouble with that. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, solid elements, or you know, air, well at least it's something, huh? And ether, well, we hear the sound is coming, it's traveling. Everybody has their electronic device now. How is that energy getting to that device? How are you? That's coming through the ether. It's not coming through the air. The air is the wind's blowing. But when the cell phone rings, what media is that? What, What That is still a material thing. So that's what we hear... Those frequencies we can't hear that we utilize in our electronic devices, that's all being carried by the ether. Yes? Subtle element. So we can understand that. The next three are difficult, huh? Because now we're talking, it's getting pretty close to, to subtle. It's pretty subtle. When we say the mind, the intelligence, and the false conception of being... This material body, false ego, or even the false conception of being the mind, it's pretty easy to accept we're not the body, generally speaking, for the most part, unless you're grossly, grossly attached, like a dog. (laughs) It's kind of easy to know that there's a difference (laughs) between yourself and your body, kind of easier to comprehend but to see a distinction between yourself and your mind that takes some real discriminating power doesn't it mind intelligence different than the intelligence that that agents of agent of discrimination the mind is basically that agent of choice choosing the mind is yes no yes no no yes What was once a yes is now a no. You know, as life goes on, this person was my friend, now they're my enemy. This was my lover, now they're not my lover. Now we're just friends. I mean, it's changing all the time. The mind is accepting and rejecting. That's the function of the mind. Under the direction of the intelligence. The intelligence is, I figured this out. Now, let me me move in this direction. The mind is yes and no. The intelligence is that ability to discriminate. Now when we come to this, the Supreme Lord saying here, Krishna is saying, Bumir apo nalo vayu, kam mano budirevacha, 
Ahankara iti yame. Bina prakritirastata. These eight items are not you. They're not me. They are my inferior material energy. Everything you see in this world is comprised of these material elements. If you're seeing it with your, you know, your eye, you know, feeling it. If you are perceiving it with your senses, with these material senses, which the body is using, if you're perceiving it, if you're thinking about it with the mind, then that is material. So then Krishna goes on. We can chant this verse. Aparayam, itastvanyam, prakritim vidime param, jiva bhutam mahabahod, gayedam dariyate jagat. If we take a simple example, we can get some glimpse into the nature of the entire material manifestation. If we take our material body, or anybody's material body, and at the end of life, at a certain point, it's finished. The soul no longer inhabits the body. It departs. And when it departs, then immediately it's just what? No one wants anything to do with it. We can lament, oh, so-and-so is gone, but gone means they went somewhere. Gone doesn't mean they just vanished. It's not over. They, they, when I go somewhere, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to be somewhere else. It can, yes, that's a whole other thing, but yes, it can. We don't want to go there. We don't want to be that lingering type of soul. Reason being, if our attachment is still to the body, if we're not willing to leave it, if we're so attached at the end of life that we can't just discard it, then that's a problem for us. Could also, we could also make it a problem for all the people that were attached to us. But that's another thing. Actually, the self-realized, and I, I know this is going to sound a little gross, but understand the concept that the sages are trying to give us when they say things like, at the end of life, the soul should be able to leave the body move away from it just as during life when you pass stool you want to move away that's how developed our detachment should be by the end of life that there's it's there's nothing it's a dead thing we don't want any more to do with it now, of course, during life, there's been attachments to other souls who also had other bodies. But we can't do anything about that when the body is finished. The relationships between one living entity and another 
was basically between the two bodies. Unless both souls are extremely spiritually advanced and that, that, that would be our aspiration. Be that as it may, for the most part, we don't want to hang around. Just as we don't want to hang around after... Is it possible for the soul to be jammed or forced back into the body? I Not into that body. Once the body's been discarded? Uh, sometimes you hear of it, uh, of somebody actually having a near-death experience and they've practically completely broken off their ties with the body. Mm-hmm. And they actually, you know, they say they're, they have an experience. And I've heard of these. You've probably read also of they're, they're hovering above yeah. the body in, in like a, an operating room. And then somehow or other, the body again becomes, we're still attached and it becomes again functioning. The heart starts to function again and the soul jumps back in, pulled back in. Yes, let me go on. That's, that's there, yes. But generally at the end of life, that's not the case. At the end of life, the whole body has become uninhabitable. You don't want to stay. Mm-hmm. The voice is choked up. You can't hardly see. You can't hardly hear. You have to mush all your food up. It feeds you like a little baby. Uh, you can't even take care of yourself. What an embarrassment. That's the end of life. We come in as an embarrassment and we leave as an embarrassment. These bodies are embarrassing for the soul. That may sound harsh, it may sound cruel, it may sound... But, unfortunately, it's a fact. It's a fact of the matter. This understanding, at the end of life, the way the soul leaves the body and moves on, it's gone somewhere else, Similarly, we can see the whole cosmic manifestation acts in a similar way. The Supreme Lord's spiritual energy, which are all the living entities, of which we're one tiny infinitesimal one of those, enters into the material cosmos and everything goes into action. Activity begins. Without those living entities, those spiritual sparks entering into the cosmic manifestation, there would be no life. Understood? Simple. Just like we enter into the body, the soul enters into the semen of the male. It's impregnated in the female. Their juices emulsify and gradually there's some little teeny individual cell and that cell expands, expands, expands. So similarly, the Supreme Lord's energy enters into the cosmic manifestation and that energy is, as he explains here, his superior spiritual energy and it's distinct from his inferior material energies which are classified as 
generally speaking, eight. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. All material energies. Five gross, three subtle. Three so subtle that the soul becomes completely enamored and forgets his true spiritual nature. So even at the time of death, those three subtle elements remain a covering for the spirit soul. And they take the living entity to another material body, the mind, intelligence, and false ego. Spiritual culture means what? We are not interested in any of that. In fact, our aspiration is to begin, even in this material body, to act on the spiritual plane. And so by acting on that plane, completely purify our existence. Completely come to the platform of realization of our spiritual nature. And we need to act accordingly. If you want to give up attachment to the body, you can't continue to utilize the body in an exploitative manner in relationship with material nature. So, therefore, we're introduced to different schools of practice, yoga practice. And in Bhagavad Gita up to this point, Krishna has reviewed some of those schools of practice. Karma yoga. Karma yoga means I'm in the world of karma, but let me do it in union with the Supreme. Yoga means to bind up with the Supreme. So therefore, if I'm going to have any result from my activities in this world, let me offer that to God. Karma yoga. Jnana yoga. If I'm going to use my intelligence to try to understand myself in relationship with this energy of the Supreme Lord, the material energy, and the other living entities, and the Supreme Lord himself, let me use that intelligence to come closer to the Supreme Lord. Jnana yoga. Karma yoga. Jnana yoga. If I'm going to use my physical being to try to gain mastery over the mind and senses, let me utilize that mastery of the mind and senses through the practice of astanga yoga to come closer to the Supreme. So at the beginning of this chapter, how does Krishna open the chapter? What's the first thing? First verse in this chapter. O son of Prita, learn from me how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, yoga doesn't make a distinction. Yoga means what? In the ultimate issue, yoga means to bind up with the Supreme. I've been talking about karma yoga. We've been talking about jnana yoga. 
Even in the last chapter, sixth chapter, what we talk about? We talked about Astanga Yoga. We talked about that hard yoga of, of controlling, looking at the tip of the nose, sitting properly, eating properly, doing everything properly. Very difficult practice. If you're going to do any of these yogas, do them in the right spirit, in full consciousness of me. Now, our yoga practice, and Krishna now is going to start to introduce that yoga practice, which is, and at the end of the last chapter, he ended, ended, ended with this concept, conception, did he not? Yoginam arpe sarve sam. And of all yogis, this is the last verse in the sixth chapter, yoginam apisarve sam, matgate nantaratmanam, shradavan bhajate yomam, same yukta tamomataha. And of all yogis, the one with great faith, who always abides in me, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendental loving service to me, he is the most intimated, intimately united with me in yoga and is the highest of the all. Care what yoga you're doing, but if you're doing that yoga where you're thinking constantly at me, whether it's looking at the tip of your nose or giving the fruits of your activities in charity or thinking about the workings of the material world, doesn't matter. If ultimately all of those yogas or any one of those yogas is centered on me, you're the highest yogi. Higher than all the other yogis. In fact, if you're doing that, you can throw all the yoga away. You've already reached the summit. You already have come to the topmost practice of yoga. Engage your mind always in thinking of me. Manmana bhava madbhakto madhyajimam namaskuru Engage your mind always in thinking of me. Worship me. Become my devotee. Become dear most friend. You do this. This is the highest. This concept of understanding how we, as an infinitesimal spirit soul, are within the material body, just as all the souls are the energy of that supreme soul who has put his energy into this material universe, it gives us some concept. Of course, he's free and we should try to attain that freedom of not being wrapped up in material existence. He comes, he displays pastimes, he doesn't take a material body. Ourselves, we don't even have a choice in the matter. We didn't have a choice. We're here. We're born in this country, we're born in this nation, born in this family or that family, born in this race, born in this species. Doesn't matter, born now, at least we have a human form of life. Wow, what a, look, look at how rare that is how much progress we've made. That's significant. At least we've come to this human form of life. Let's, let's, let's utilize it. Let's not just live like 
the cats and the dogs and then for material nature what happens what happens in material nature when you don't utilize a thing properly let me stick my arm up in the air there's another word atra yeah let me not use it just let me just leave this here let me put it in a sling and not use it for a month two months six months a year two years What's going to happen when I take it out? I'm not going to be able to pick up anything. I'm not going to be able to move it. The muscles are done. So now we have this human form of life. We have some ability to discriminate between what is matter and what is spirit. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Now you've come to this human form of life. Inquire into your spiritual nature. And what happens if we don't? atrophy the body we've let it go we've not utilized the mind and intelligence what happens in material nature when something's not utilized according to its characteristics stops working well don't not use your intelligence to pursue your self-realization your true being because Material nature, if you don't utilize it, will take it away from you. Just as if I put my arm in a sling and don't use it, it'll become useless. Now, the living entity is superior. Now, there's another distinguishing factor, and he's going to go on to make that. All created beings have their source in these two natures. So both of these natures are that is what is the source of this particular embodiment that we now have. Take the soul out of the body, it's just a bunch of matter. Take the matter away from the soul, there's no functioning in the material world. They both, these two natures together, constitute our existence within the material world. All created beings have their source in these two natures. Of all that is material and all that is spiritual in this world, know for certain that I am both the origin and the dissolution. O conqueror of wealth, we're up to verse 7, there is no truth superior to me. Everything rests upon me as pearls are strung on a thread. Without the Supreme Lord, there's no material energy. Without the Supreme Lord, there's no jiva tattvas, tatasta sakti. Our nature is what? We are an infinitesimal, fragmental particle of the energy of the Supreme Lord. But we have the same quality, spiritual. The only difference between ourself and God we're infinitesimal and he's infinite. But this is an important point to understand. And this is where there's a distinction in the philosophy. If you take the combined living energy entities, combine them all together, all the spiritual particles, you put them all together, the supreme is still distinct and separate from them. 
Om Purnam Araha Purnam Idam. Perfect and complete. Even though so many complete, perfect manifestations come from the Supreme, He still keeps His individual individuality. Even though so many perfect living entities are coming from Him. Well, how can you say we're perfect? We're conditioned by material nature. No, ultimately you're perfect. Your imperfection is simply all of our imperfections in the material world is based upon misidentification, the illusion that I'm of this world, that this is my world, that this is here for my enjoyment. Give up that concept Material energy will back off. Krishna will invite us back to our true spiritual position. O son of Kunti, now Krishna is going to start to begin to give Arjuna a way to see him. How we can see God. I'm the taste of water. I'm the light of the sun and the moon, the syllable Om and the Vedic mantras. I am the sound and ether and the ability in man. And these will go on and on. And we'll go through these in the next classes. Read over this portion of the Bhagavad Gita and, and understand what... Krishna is trying to give to Arjuna here. It's a way to see the Supreme everywhere. At this point, because we are so wrapped up in material energy and our mentality is so attached to exploitive enjoyment, it's not possible to perceive the Supreme directly. Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabaved Graham Indriya. And we're certainly, we're not going to perceive the holy name with the material senses. We're certainly not going to be able to see the Supreme, to experience the Supreme, as long as we're wrapped up in this material environment. As long as we're accepting this body as the self. And it's not going to happen. Self-realization, spiritual revelation is not going to come to us through anything material. Atashri Krishna Namadi, Nabaved Grahamindriya, the Indriyas, these senses, the ears, the eyes, the nose, the tongue, the sense of touch. None of those things will allow us to perceive the Supreme directly. Atashri Krishna Nabadi Nabavidgrahamindriya. Sevan Muki He Jivadal But there is a possibility through good direction, through Bhajana Kriya, 
through the mercy of sadhu, who's Krishna's external spiritual manifestation, that we can taste. It begins with the tongue. We're chanting and we're tasting. Sevan mukhi hejivadal, swayamevasparachyada. This is the beginning, even within the material realm, of how we can make spiritual progress. It's a transcendental infusion, an infusion of spiritual energy into the material realm. I'll stop there. Any questions? Questions? Additions? Corrections? Well, I just wanted to um, comment on what we were talking about at the beginning of the Adhikari stage when you were talking about infusing chanting with focus and you know, enthusiasm and being present and all. Um, I mean, it's true that you know, a novice maybe is going to chant a little bit by rote, mm-hmm. you know, mechanically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there might not be like a lot of sort of heartfelt chanting initially, mm-hmm. but um, still, one makes progress. Just but what it, what is what is the source of the project progress at that point? Well, it's, it's Krishna's mercy. I mean, to and the Krishna's mercy is coming to us. In what form at that stage of our spiritual life? At that stage, the Krishna's mercy is coming to us in the form of the instructions of the spiritual master. So yes, there may be some rudimental practice. Why? Because this is what has been requested of us by Sri Guru. So in following it, even though it may be mechanical, it may be rudimental, because we're doing it with the sense of following lovingly the direction of guru, it's having some effect. He's carrying the, at that stage of our chanting, he's the one that's carrying us along. His instruction is carrying us. We're not hearing so much. But he's infused us with his mercy by acceptance of our position and giving us shelter under his, the umbrella of his spiritual potency. I think, what, I think what you're making me think of right now when you say this is that it takes me to um, the admonishment that we are not to um, to think of the spiritual master as an ordinary man, an ordinary person, mm-hmm. uh, and that in so doing, it makes me think, as you're stating that, that everything, the words out of his mouth, the instruction, all of these things, if we really, truly appreciate it, and we cultivate the appreciation of that, mm-hmm. that, that it seems like that will energize our faith, our, you know, but it has to be done very intelligently. We have to be able to un- discriminate intelligently in dealing with with the Sri Guru. Very, very important point. Well, yes. 
Oh, I was just going to say, it seems like also, and I've been told this several times because I've asked, that when one is initiated or comes in contact with the sadhu and gets that that energy, that mercy to chant, do devotional service, it's almost like riding a wave and then the wave dissipates. I mean, at some point you've got to start swimming yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, <laughs> the chanting with focused I mean, you still have that mercy, but at the sure. same time. Well, well, I know that it's just, I know that there are, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, said in this age, you know, we can make our most progress by chanting, you know. So there are people that, you know, maybe just picked up a piece of literature or something and they read the mantra and it's, you know, they say, oh, you know, I'll try this, you know. Mm -hmm. And they don't know necessarily what they're doing and they're not necessarily. You know, they don't know who Krishna is or, you know, but they do it and they gain some, they're still gaining benefit. You oh, know, yes. You know that they're always, you know, a person is always gaining At a certain benefit. point, though, yes, yeah. good guidance will come to them if they're sincere. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just that, I mean, they're, the, 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 even done mechanically or in an unconscious state, a person, an individual makes some kind of progress. Even yes. If you know. But isn't it that sort of, for example, once you have a little bit of inf more information about something, then more is expected of you? And I mean, people might just out of ignorance make offenses when they're starting, but once sure. you're, once you've re received a little bit of instruction, but then you continue to chant offensively, then that's it seems it's like right. You just keep going and going. Well, and yeah, all that's there. It's a matter. I mean, basically, uh, truly, the mercy of the spiritual master. If you've come to the point, even unconsciously, of contact with with Krishna or any of Krishna's energies, and you eventually you you mature to the stage of of having some faith in the words of the saintly people and some faith in the scripture Bhagavad Gita, any scripture I mean any any of this it's all Krishna Krishna is here for everybody it's whatever name whatever denomination whatever you know tradition all of these people they're advancing it's not that it's not a sectarian process of course we we understand there's some great significance in in being able to go to graduate school. You know what I mean? There's some great significance. But still, you all the different grades, all those different lessons have to be learned by the living entity before the certain stage of deep spirituality is offered. It's there. Or sometimes, what do you get? What do you... What happens when they give these, uh, uh, you get a degree, but you didn't go to school. What do they call that? Uh, yeah. Sometimes you just, somebody walks up and say, here, here, have an honor. Here, you can, you're, we're going to teach you like, we're going to teach you like a real student or treat you like a real student. You didn't even go to school. You get an honorary degree. Well, that's, that's Kali Yuga. That's Lord Shaitanya's movement. We have no qualification, but somehow or other, look, this has come. 
this mercy has come by the by Lord Chaitanya descending in this Kali Yuga, once in a day of Brahma, after the advent of Lord Krishna. So very rare. So take this honorary degree and go with it. Yes. I'm Swami Tripuri telling us about some of the famous God Brothers talking, and um, someone was getting kind of despondent about, you know, just, you know, it's so far off, we have so much to do. And I don't know whether it was one of his God brothers. No, he, 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 re, he relays this a couple of times. I've yeah, heard this. Just, it's it's uh, Vishnu John Maharaj. Vishnu John, yeah. yeah. The distance that we've, we've come is, yes. is far greater than the distance we have to go. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a nice point. That's a very yeah. good point, too. Well, just Let that carry you. Human, mm-hmm. Getting to this human form and, and taking advantage of it. Truly our chanting needs to bring us to the point of complete humility because there's nothing we can do. Our energies will never surpass this, the strength of Krishna's external material energy. It's supremely powerful uh, to keep us bound up in illusion on this plane. So we have to come to the stage of complete humility and that level of humility will will give us give us great benefit that really there's I'm fully and you notice you'll notice that all these devotees all these advanced devotees in their prayers thank you uh, they cry out to Krishna I mean these are devotees been you know that are extremely advanced but they're crying out there's no one lower than me. That's, that's advancement in spiritual life. When you start to feel that you're making no advancement, that I'll never get out of the material world, then you're, then you're going in the right direction. The second you think, oh, now I'm a devotee, I'm a spiritualist, I'm a, I'm a great yogi, look at me, look at me. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what do they say, pride cometh before a fall. We need to remain humble to, to advance spiritually. You need to continually main, to maintain. You can't chant sincerely unless you're chanting Prabhupada again and again. He says you chant like a child crying for its mother. Yeah. Or like a wife longing for the return of their husband that's gone abroad. Or like a calf wanting to have some milk. 